Welcome to the Food and Faith Podcast, conversations from the soil and around the table with your co-hosts, Anna Wolfenden, Derek Weston, and Sam Chandler. Hello, Food and Faith Podcast community. This is Anna, and I'm here with Sam today. What's up? And we... so... Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I blew that up. <laughs> You like interrupted my flow. <laughs> I'm just, I'm excited to be here. <laughs> I'm glad. I am too. I am too. Um, it's a good thing. And I'm so excited about our guest. So the thing about three co-hosts is that now we start to fight over guests. And Sam, well, I was glad to be the one to bring this guest to the show. So then Sam and Derek had to fight over who got to to co-host with me and Sam how did you win what was your argument well there was one word and the word was cows cows at that point I didn't I didn't care I'm super glad for our <laughs> super glad for our guests but uh yeah all it took was cows and I'm like oh yeah we're gonna have fun today yeah so the Reverend Rachel Field is a resident of a small hillside community of critters plants and mosses in central Vermont called Hartbury Hollow and she and her husband Jonathan live and care for a team of cows pigs, chickens, and ducks who share space and nourishment generously. They embarked on this journey with the land as part of their process of healing from the white supremacy culture and to explore ways of growing beloved community. When not curled up with a good book beside the pond or playing with the cows, that's for you, Sam, <laughs> emphasis for you. Rachel is the priest in partnership with the Episcopal Church in Brandon, Vermont, and the farm priest of the new farm for the Diocese of Vermont called Mission Farm. She's worked in community gardens in New Haven, Connecticut, a diversified organic farm in Northfield, Vermont, and find deep joy in leading wilderness retreats. Mm -hmm. So I am so thrilled to have you on the pod, Rachel. Um, we have many multiple connections that um, led to the moment of us having, I don't know, three or four Zoom calls in the last two weeks. Um, yeah, it's been awesome. <laughs> it's been great. And I'm so glad that one of them is this recording. So welcome to the pod. Me too. Thank you so much. I've been excited about this all week. I'm so glad to be here with both y'all. Yeah, just really looking forward to it. And talking about cows, of course. I mean, and cows. Anna left out pigs. So yeah, we're 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 gonna get there in a in a hurry for sure. Um, yeah, yeah. The pigs. So, ooh, the pigs bring it really real because we're doing our own on farm slaughter. So like, yeah. Oh wow! Wow. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, it gets real. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Excellent. Anna, do you want me to do geography? I do, except for first, I want to say that the specific thing about the cows was that, which also, you know, was something I was very interested in, is that Rachel did a liturgy around cows and with wow. the cows. So it's not just the cows, but it was also liturgy and cows. So we'll get back to that, but. That's a priest flex if I've ever heard of one. That is yeah, that, it was a little extra. I'll be honest. I was doing it when I was like judging myself while doing it. I was like, am I really going to be the person who does this? I guess so, but I feel weird about that. Look, we're, we're due for a reformation. And if cows are going to be part of it, rock on. So let's Oh my that. God, cow reformation for the win. Nobody saw that one coming. And so, yeah. So, Ed, Rachel, it really is just a joy to have you on. And as we always do on this pod, um, just help our orient help orient our listeners to you and where you come from and the place where you serve. Tell us a little bit about your geography, whether that is the land, the people, the culture that have shaped you and are currently shaping you. Yeah. Um, so I grew up in the mid-Atlantic. Uh, I grew up in Westchester, Pennsylvania, and I was on a dead end cul-de-sac behind a car repair shop and an office building and somehow um wedged into this tiny dead end cul-de-sac was a cow farm um and for those of you who know westchester pennsylvania like this is like built up suburbs it's got some mainline vibes with mostly like fairly well-off white folks um just doing our um church as a social club. I grew up in the Episcopal church. We love to have our, you know, big tent fundraisers, the whole deal. Um, and somehow on this little dead end cul-de-sac, there were these slices of aliveness that I just was captivated by when I was little. So some of my favorite growing up memories were just like terrorizing the neighborhood with this like band of kids. We just roamed around and like 
like stared at the cows and played in the creeks and made these little like mud pies and things. And it was just, I remember just being eight years old and making a mud pie and thinking back on that, like how do even eight year olds know that the earth is so sacred and that it is so generous in food to like make a pie out of it. Like that is so cool. <laughs> but that's, that's, that's definitely what shaped me. And so I found myself now in the green mountains of Vermont. Um, we used to come up here in the summers and I was just really captivated by Lake Champlain. I learned a lot about Vermont since being here full time. Turns out there's snow. It's not just summer. That was a big learning. Um, yeah. So, so now I'm like in this, in this whole um, beautiful rural community that feels very different in some ways, but um, feels a bit like coming home to that, those slices of land that are alive and vibrant. And so, yeah, so let's, so let's jump. And so you, you, you started, you know, you had this experience of being around animals, being around farm, and now you've sort of invested your life in that. And so tell us a little bit about um, Heartberry Hollow and kind of the work that you're up to now, you and your husband and, and what it is you're raising and what your focus is. Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, it feels like this weird confluence where just like love of being outdoors, um, being captivated by being in community and what does that mean? Like with people, with with what kind of people, um, with like all the different particularities, but then also with the more than human community, just like being in community has been captivating to me. And it feels like these threads of loving the land, loving building community, um, loving food. I, uh, I was a vegetarian for a while and then I took a, um, a course on paleolithic foodways and i was like oh my god all in so like part of that class we um slaughtered a deer and processed it and i was like i am ready to eat this animal raw and we went for it and i was like all right now i'm in it at a different level just like and it feels like all of these disparate threads coming together to this invitation to pattern my life more deeply around the rhythms that the earth invites um and so Jonathan and I talked about that quite extensively, not only with, you know, for what that means for the two of us in joining into communion with this, um, this beautiful creation and all that um, beautiful and wild and scary creation and all that that means, but also like as two white people in North America, um, is there an invitation that learning the story of the land, learning to speak with the land um, learning a different way of thinking um, by being in communities that are holding each other accountable for undoing racism um, and working with the land to do that. Like, could that be a part of our story? And we've, we, we decided to go for it. Um, one caveat, one bump in the road was I had a chance to hear Wendell Berry speak a couple of years ago, and he was a really influential voice in my life. And I was so excited. I just brought like, all. I was like, oh my God, this is my hero. He's going to tell me like, go and be free with the woods. And he stood up and he said- I nerded out on Wendell Berry too. I get yeah, it. <laughs> so good. And so he, so, like, so he stood up in this room in front of a whole group of people. And he said, um, if you're thinking about going out and starting a farm, don't do it. Just don't do it. And I was like, oh my God. So, and so <laughs> So I promptly ignored him and here we are. <laughs> what, tell us more about that. What was his don't do it and why did you do it anyway? Yeah, let's see. Um, he, what I remember him saying was like, there, there are other ways that people can engage that don't need you to take yourself out of your own community, your own support your own infrastructure. If that's not your background, find a way to integrate the things that you love about the idea of farming. Find a way to do it wherever you are. So if you're in New Haven, Connecticut, um, which is where Jonathan and I met, find a way to do it there. If you're in Westchester, Pennsylvania, or on the Western Shore of Maryland, or um, in Western Massachusetts, uh, find a way to do it there. Um, so we wrestled with that a lot. And part of how we ended up in central Vermont is because Jonathan is Jonathan's family's from up here. So we decided in some way we could live into that sentiment with integrity by being closer to family and by wanting our family and our community to drive kind of 
where we put our feet. Yeah, I heard him say say the same thing. And one of the things I've always appreciated about Barry, and I've I've said this from time to time, he always sounds like my grandfather, like sort of an old like which is which made me trust him a little bit. Yeah. But there is such a powerful romanticism around farming, which can really yeah. kneecap not only not only our own personal sense of development, but not always being aware of the fact that other living things are dependent on us. And that kind of romanticism has impacts if we're not ready for what it actually means to take care of other living things. So mm -hmm. I've heard him express that too and say there are lots of ways, like we don't need everybody to be farmers. Yeah. We do need farmers to be a part of our conversations, but we don't need everybody to run out and grab their 10 acres. Yeah, absolutely. And like for me, it brings up just that what, feels like an invitation to a cultural shift, whether that's talked about as like a back to the land shift or um, an anti-racism or an undoing racism shift. It's like a heart change. Like, so going out and buying a farm and just moving out with no background, um, it's like a materialist need, almost a materialist knee-jerk reaction. And, and what might be invited instead, not that that's always a bad thing, but what might be invited instead is just, like a, a heart shift, a deep heart shift for like where we are each in our own incarnation. I, yeah, I really resonate with that. Yeah. So what are some of the rhythms in your own life that other people would say, well, that looks funny, but <laughs> it's ways that you have oriented your life towards the land and your, and your geography. Mm, yeah. Probably the biggest one involves the, the sacred eight o'clock in the morning hour of milking. Um, so most of my life revolves around making sure the animals have food in the morning and making sure they have food at night. But in particular, it's geared towards supporting this gorgeous, bodacious milk mama named Mocha, who just like gives so beautifully of herself. And we just love, I just like, I could gush about this cow for days. In fact, I think I do like my poor husband. That's all we talk about. Um, Sam is so happy right now. I was gonna say our podcast can't see it. I'm just I'm I am, amen, hallelujah. Keep rolling, preacher. <laughs> yeah, Moga's just um, she's the best. So like, I know no matter what else is happening in life, like I have to make sure the milk containers are ready to receive her generous offering, and that she is ready to be milked because um. If, if we don't milk her out consistently and safely and all that, she can develop mastitis, bad for health. So like what drives my day more than anything else. And like when I'm setting my agenda or making meetings for the church, whatever it's all right. Well, I have this eight o'clock sacred hour in the morning blocked off. Cause I gotta be, I gotta be milking. Yeah. yeah. Let me ask, what is that? Because my parents, my grandparents, and even when I milked cows for a little while, um, there's something really sacred about that process. Mm -hmm. It's something that I've wrestled with my entire life. Like, and some of it was for me, it was that early morning hour, which always sort of carries with it. You know, there's, there's a lot of biblical imagery around it. You know, some of it was just the time at which that happened, but just the way that you've described it really resonates with me. Mm -hmm. There is this kind of sacred, almost prayerful hour that needs to be dedicated toward this other living thing. And I just wonder what it is for you. Mm -hmm that that reflects kind of this sacredness because that's what I hear when you when you talk about it. Yeah, yeah, Sam, that's such a great question. And um, it sort of brings into mind, Anna, what you mentioned earlier about the um, St. Bridget's Day blessing that we did with the cow. It's like, there's something I, so intimate about touching her body. I know, it's, I mean, it may sound, but it's just about touching her body and, um, standing with her and the fact that she can sense because she could very easily stop me from milking like it she has very strong legs she could stop me from milking but the fact that she consents to let me touch her in this intimate way and that um for dairy cows sam you probably know this already like if they're they're feeding their baby so if they um feel an affection toward their baby they'll actually produce more milk so if, if she trusts me and feels affection to me and like, she's, she's feeding me with her body. Like, oh my God, it's like Jesus on the cross. She is feeding me with her body. Oh my God. Like that is just, I don't even have, like I get to a place without words because it's, it's so spectacular. So we did this 
St. Bridget's Day blessing as a way of just on like how I don't I don't know how you honor all that that is but like any attempt to try to honor all that that is it just feels hmm. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about St. Bridget's Day and the origins of that if they aren't familiar? Sure um yeah and with St. Bridget maybe with most of the saints uh, but particularly what comes to mind with St. Bridget is like so much of her life is mystery that it's hard to like I'm, in some ways I'm telling a myth um, and some of it might happen to be true. Uh, so Bridget has this affinity in Ireland and England um, with with cows and was known to perform miracles around cows. She was also said to be the midwife when Christ was born. Um, so she has this just strong mothering energy. And, um, and in, in some of the work that I've been doing and that Jonathan and I have been doing around what it means to become indigenous, what it means to um, be uh, a people with a culture instead of being this kind of like amorphous whiteness. Like, so it's part of our anti-racism work that we're trying to recover these stories about our ancestors and the stories that, that tie us to place into things. So St. Bridget has this affinity with cows. And so on February 2nd um, of each year, uh, the liturgical calendar marks St. Bridget's Feast Day. And it is said that that's a great day to do cow blessings and cow prayers and bless the pasture for your cows and really just love up on all of your livestock, but particularly the cows. And I found this insanely beautiful collection of um, poems and songs and prayers and chants from Scotland in Gaelic and in English. So we just kind of chased the cow around speaking at her in only only English. I don't speak Gaelic, unfortunately, but like chasing at her and singing at her. And it was, that was how we did it. (laughs) Sam, next February, I expect to get a video of Look, you think I'm not banging out the email right now to Rachel? (laughs) Please send this to me. Um, Now, before we move off cows, I I do have to ask the question, what breed? Okay, so she's a Jersey, and I'm very proud of her. She is, um, there's a farm in Vermont, Butterworks, and so she actually traces her lineage to a Butterworks cow. She was um, from a friend of ours who've been raising um, off-grid organic dairy for the last 30 years. She was... um, the granddaughter of their wedding present cow because that's the kind of people that live in Vermont for their wedding they got a cow and we have her granddaughter yeah i i just i just want to reflect and maybe maybe we end up cutting this out but i just wanted to reflect the the way the way your story and you've told your story starting with wendell berry saying don't go out and do this because not everybody's called to it but just hearing you talk about dairy just reflects your not only reflection on it and care but actually your skill and and expertise and i i kind of want to unpack that for our listeners because i I doubt there are a lot of dairy farmers who listen to us but just the way that i mean the way you talk about it's just so authentic um and spiritual and it's just it it really is a joy to just i could listen to you talk about cows all day long oh thanks sam (laughs) whenever the whole COVID thing is ready for a pause because you know Oh my God. Um, come up, come up and visit. I would love that. I, I honestly would love nothing more than just sitting on the hillside talking about cows. And, and, you know, if you've got experience milking, we're always looking for relief milkers. Cause, I'm know. sure you are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As we, as we say, if you milk it, you buy it. So you can keep, you can keep whatever you milk. <laughs> yeah. Well, we can talk more about cows later on in the interview if we need to, because um, I, I do support that conversation. But I do want to talk a little bit about uh, Mission Farm yeah, and this wonderful phrase, farm priest. Um, yeah. I think that's a, a phrase that uh, many of us, many of us on this podcast right now might resonate with. Nice. <laughs> Um, and, um, tell us what you and, um, what our, our mutual friend, Lisa, Reverend Reed, Lisa Ransom are, are doing mm-hmm. in the, the vision of, of Mission Hill, Mission Farm. Yeah. Thanks, Anna. Um, yeah, Mission Farm is just, uh, so it's this beautiful moment of 
mountain and hillside and river, um, the Ottakichi River flows right through the middle of these 180, 180 acres that kind of span this mountainside. And um, this is Mission Farm as is Heartbreak Hollow is the traditional um, unceded homeland of the Abenaki people. Um, and the, the river, um, in, especially in Vermont, but I think this is true for most of New England, rivers were primary travel ways for um, human communities for the last 10,000 years. So this mission farm has um, this movement, this transition um, that has just has been there. And into that walks this um, woman, Elizabeth, whose last name I never remember, but Elizabeth who was born there. Um, her family's from England, came over and settled the area with all of the baggage of colonialism that that brings um, and fell in love with it so much that she, she dedicated it all to the church and said, no matter what happens, this land needs to have a farmer who is a priest living here and taking care of it. So that was about 150 years ago. So that's given the Episcopal Church in Vermont a lot of time to just puzzle over like, why? Like, what does it mean? And I think I think it's an ongoing conversation. Like, what does it mean to have this intention held in this space for someone to farm and be a priest? Mm-hmm. And there's so much that could be said about that. But what Lisa Ransom and I are discovering together right now is how do we, um, as spiritual beings, as members of a, of a spiritual community, a religious community, how do we listen to the land and respond to the land in a way that amplifies the generosity that is present? So, you know, very practically that could look like teaching gardens and grazing flocks and um, there's a bakery there. So those are the sort of practical nitty gritties, but the, the deeper questions that we're just holding space for and sitting with are, you know, what does it mean to be an equal partner in a relationship with Christ with a landscape? And when we get the answer, I'll tell you, but I don't know what it is. <laughs> I don't know. And I think, I, I don't know if we ever will have an answer, but I think it's a beautiful question to be sitting in. You know? Well, and I love that you and Lisa are willing to sit with those questions and you're not just coming in and saying like, here's our plan. We are going to force this land to do what we want it to do and what we need it to do. Um, but I am curious or not, but, but, and I am curious, what does that look like right now? And of course Mm -hmm. now is COVID too, which makes everything a little more complicated. Um, yeah, I mean, I saw, I saw a wonderful picture, um, on, I think it's actually Lisa's zoom uh, profile picture, which oh, is yeah. a picture of the church doors with chickens coming out of them. Yeah, <laughs> that was a great day. Oh my god! Um, and so things are happening on yeah on that land right now, and just give us a little um a little peek into what where the spirit's moving and how the spirit's moving. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So we welcome this little little group of twelve hens and one rooster it feels very like apostolic like 12 like, <laughs> hens. Good. um and the, the story around those birds is incredible there was a woman who advertised on craigslist that um she and her family um in new hampshire were receiving some racially motivated um uh vandalism and their neighbors were shooting their chickens like what so she was breaking her heart that she needed to get rid of her laying flock and the coop and all this. And so we, Lisa reached out to her and we said that we would happily give her chickens a home at Mission Farm on the condition that if she wanted to, she stayed in relationship with them. And like this woman, when she said goodbye to her chickens, like she held one of her chickens at like to her heart. And she was like, you have to take care of Miss Chicken. And we were like, yeah, we, we will enter into a covenant agreement that we will take care of Miss Chicken. Like, and she was like, she's the one with the heart-shaped comb. Like, okay. And I'm like, yeah, we are with, like, we are in it with these chickens. So this, they just, this feels like, like a beautiful moment of generosity, of pain, of like welcoming. So we have these, these chickens that just represent a lot for me. 
and I just, yeah, love these chickens. So the chickens are there. We'll be welcoming um, six lambs in the spring, right around Easter, which feels kind of fun. Um, and they'll help us take care of the meadows. And then at the end, we'll, um, we'll, what do we call it at the farm I worked at? It will have graduation day and the lambs will graduate to the next phase of their existence and they'll nourish our bodies and we will thank them for that. Mm -hmm. um, and we also have a variety of raised beds and we're putting in um, for a community garden and we're putting in a, um, an upper garden, which will be more focused on root vegetables and um, we'll be participating in the Abenaki Land Link project um, with that garden, which is local growers growing seeds saved um, by the Abenaki um, tribe, donated to farmers, and then we in turn donate the produce back to the Abenaki. So we have a couple things, a couple things going on programmatically, you know, just to support um, support having food for the community. We're going to be selling some and giving some away, sort of a one-to-one. But does that kind of answer? I always feel like I'm I'm such in this like the spirit and vagueness, uh, which is funny because it's farming, so it's like hands in the dirt. But I'm like I don't know. <laughs> so does that kind of paint a picture? <laughs> it does. It absolutely <laughs> does. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Um. And just as I hear you talk about it, and this is this is one of the things that we we like to reflect on in this is that you as a priest speak about your farm work from a priest point of view um mm -hmm. you know our our clergy who listen to us will recognize in your like you know in your language the idea of blessing and of sacrifice and of yeah. pastoral care like talking about the chickens all i heard yeah. was pastoral care i mean just that oh. language resonates with me yeah. um and and so you've obviously reflected on this so i want to ask the very simple question what is a farm priest? That is a new one by me, but I, but I just wonder, you know, first of all, like what is your job description, but then how do you also, how do you think about what it means to be a farm priest? Oh my God. That's such a good question. And to be totally honest with you, I had literally no idea what I meant when I put those two words next to each other on a page. I was like, um, I was like, it's deep. <laughs> I, think, I think it's, this is the job. Um, what I'm imagining. So, Okay, so just hang with me for a second because I could be going way off the deep end. Apparently, like while we're recording, we're landing on Mars, so I might be actually on that spaceship landing on Mars right now. But hang <laughs> um, because for me, like, okay, a priest is a per oh, I'm gonna get myself. I can already hear myself getting in trouble with my seminary professors. A priest is a person who like builds community and points that community toward God. I think is what I'm going with. I'm going with that. And um, so a farm priest would witness the more than human community as we all look at how we nourish each other and feed each other and relate to each other and point all of us toward God. So like it's as much walking with, building up, challenging, supporting, loving the people as it is the spinach. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, so it's so fascinating that is that so I wonder how things would have evolved if the pandemic hadn't struck just as you were starting off this project. I wonder if you would have gotten distracted and yeah. spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to do good things like outdoor liturgy and mm getting volunteers and instead that you've had this beautiful season of of listening and of being attuned to the creation that you are surrounded by and and mm. part of and and I guess and I would venture a guess that you know we don't it's not all about the humans and that that deep listening is an incredible gift to the humans mm. that are and will be in the orbit of mission farm mm -hmm. because because that's a spiritual practice yeah right but there's that's a spiritual practice to be paying attention to mm -hmm. how, what's what was growing here what is growing here mm -hmm. the cow needs to be milked i mean those are there's a a um, attentiveness to the sacred in these natural rhythms that um 
think we need in the world and and so does that that I think that does something beyond mm-hmm. the moment that you're witnessing that you're mm-hmm. creating a an awareness or pointing to something that is there mm-hmm. in a powerful way mm-hmm. yeah yeah I Anna I wonder also like you know I'm thinking about Tolkien who said you know that it could have been different but it couldn't have been better like just that COVID um I want to be really careful because it's it has caused so much pain and loss and it's I think opened up a contemplative posture for beginning this ministry that might not have been present otherwise so and like for me um I feel like I have aspirations to be more contemplative, but I wouldn't call myself a contemplative, but I'm hoping. Um, But for me, what that means is like, like kind of like, to use some of your words, Anna, but like that deep listening invites, um, invites more, I don't know, but it, it, it just invites a different kind of posture from which the work is engaged in. And it's a spiritual practice then. And So I know whatever happens at Mission Farm this growing season, because our growing seasons are really short in Vermont. So we're like waiting for it, waiting for it. Oh, there it was. So like whatever happens in this growing season this summer, um, it almost, the what happens almost doesn't matter to me as much as the like having that contemplative posture, having that pause going into it so that we can really be listening to each other, to the land, to God, um, I guess God's probably like number one thing to person being, oh no, God is the number one mm, to listen to. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just one of the things I hear, you know, this idea of building community and pointing it towards God. Mm. Uh, sometimes we hear, well, this, this seems like it's, it's different than church or it's outside of kind of bounds of what the faith community has been. But mm. if we look back in our texts, and just the way that I heard you describe it, we look back, the land and the wider community are were moral agents in the covenant. Land was not just a, a commodity that was handed over. It was a partner with, you know, yes, it was gift, but that gift was kind of the thing that that enacted the relationship between God and the people. Mm. Um, and so when it was well cared for, the covenant was thriving and healthy. When it failed to be cared for or was abused, it yeah. failed to produce. And that's when, you know, that's when economic systems and social systems started to come apart. So what I hear you describing, you know, saying, gee, I'd like to be more contemplative. It really feels at the core of our faith that understanding that Christian community has got to care more about its ecosystems because the land is the thing that that negotiates and that and that it's it's sacramental in that it transacts the grace between God and God's people. Yeah. Ooh, ooh I really like that a lot. That sacramental transacting the grace that's really beautiful yeah and so i i I hear you describing it and then just trying to build that and discover Mm -hmm. and and which means there's always another layer of grace you know which is farming it's farming is uh, is lessons in failing and getting back up oh yeah and it's discovering that you've succeeded and and continuing Mm -hmm. to grow and to develop and just discovering that Mm -hmm. grace is always is an ever-expanding reality so true and oh man this just sparked for me so much sam because the other thing that i've heard a a lot and encountered um because because of being on this homestead i'm sort of de facto in this community of kind of a next wave of back to the landers which seems to be a movement that's happening now and they talk a lot about like radical self-dependence or like i'm gonna make it on my own like and i think what you just talked about and where the being um, engaged in farming as a Christian comes in is that it's it's completely the opposite of that. Like I'm reminded of my radical dependency on every other creature. I can't even eat. Like I can't run my body. Like I can't be in my body without the sacrifice and generosity of another being, whether that's a vegetable or an animal or what it's like, it's all just this radical um, interdependence that is, oh my gosh, like that is Eucharist, that is covenant, that is like yeah. everything from Good Friday to Easter Sunday. Like say, yeah, we're, we're recording the day after Ash Wednesday. And that is yeah. that is the notion. Yeah. I mean, that's 
that life is always built on the back of death. That's that's yeah. our, that's our faith. You know, resurrection is on the backside of the cross. Um, mm. Shoot in our gardens. Um, growth is on the backside of compost. That's that's yeah. Anna's jam. Um, you know, Love the, the yeah, compost. That, <laughs> they, Look, I can nerd out on cows. You can nerd out on compost. <laughs> I, I mean, they go they go together well. They're they all good friends. You know, and so yeah, like it's it is this radical dependency and this constant mm -hmm. exchange of of life. You know, it is this mm -hmm. giving and receiving that is, and 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 that that also feels like a sacramental kind of thing that God gives God's life to us and we return our lives back to God. And so, yeah. um, which of course is ecosystem language too, as we cite as yeah. life cycles through our ecosystem. So yeah. Um, so now I think it's a beautiful picture you paint and it feels mm -hmm. just so authentic at the core of what you're trying to do at Mission Farm. Mm. Oh, well, thank you. And in a, in a I have a really practical way that that can show up. And I learned it from a friend of mine, Mark Kudlowski, who is Roman Catholic and is um, also living in central Vermont and, Vermont. and he and his wife are starting a Metanoia Vermont, which is an intentional community. Ooh. Also, look, maybe church nerdy if metanoia was, you know, a hint. But um, he, when he harvests anything, he's a he's a wilderness guide and he does a lot of wild food harvest. When he harvests anything, he pauses and says thank you, and then does what he needs to do. And um, I think he's he. I know he's influenced from a couple different members of the Abenaki tribe, um, but in particular, this idea of the honorable harvest that like taking anything requires a thank you um or like yeah it just prompts a thank you and that you don't take more than you need it's like once the once the act of eating of growing of farming whatever um is seen in this sacramental way then like my relationship to what i eat and how i eat who grows it um and how they're being paid or treated or taken care of, like all of that has to change um, because it takes on this bigger significance. I just, yeah, so that little thing, thank you. Like I th I'm thinking of like here in January when there's just spinach growing in greenhouses, like just kneeling on the ground in straw and picking one leaf of spinach at a time because that's just life some days. And like just saying thank you to every, every spinach plant, like just kind of brings it really real. I want to ask a little bit more about your relationship with the Abenaki people and, and thinking about just the complexity of being in relationship with land, humans and land and, and covenant. And that, you know, here we are in 2021 and you are describing this beautiful reciprocal covenant that you have with a piece of land, mm. but you're new to that land. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that, in the U.S. and obviously in other parts of the world too, but certainly here that their, you know, land has been stolen and yeah. land has been um, colonized and yeah. that when we have a history with land, it does involve other people and peoples. Yeah. And, um, and so I would, I would love to hear a bit about your um, work with the Abenaki yeah. tribe, your neighbors, but also just, your reflections on how you're wrestling with those tensions and um, on the reality of, of the history of the land that you are, are now on and with. Yeah. yeah um, and I just appreciate that question so much. And I'm also, oh, it's like one of the questions that keeps me up at night. It's like, ah, oh, I don't want to go there, but I also like, that's the place of growth, you know, because um we, Jonathan and I talked and we invited a couple other friends into a community to help us discern, like, what does it even mean to think about buying a piece of land as a white person in North America? Like, is there any way that could ever be done with integrity? Um, and for me, the answer is no, it, it can't be done. Um, but we did it anyway. Um, and that is just something that I feel a lot most days. Um, and it's, it, yeah, it's not about, I don't want to make it too much about my feelings, but it's, that's there. Um, we've talked about, there's a, there's a really great network, um, through Soul Fire Farm of places that are, uh, BIPOC owned farms that are looking for, um, Kickstarter funds or GoFundMe. Um, so we've talked about 
raising enough money that would be equal to the amount that we put as a down payment on our property and donating it um, to one of those farms as kind of an equal offset. Um, that to me feels really right. And we're working toward that direction. Um, and it just, I don't, I don't know how this is. I'm sure this is mired in my own, um, my own blinders, my own racism. Cause, uh, I remember being in a conversation with George Tinker, who's a, um, Native American theologian. And he said, for every year that you've been in dominant culture, you need to spend dominant white culture, you need to spend one year outside of that culture to unlearn the racism that you've inherited. Mm. You know, like, okay, so I, I know like all my wrestling is so mired in that. Um, but um, I'm just hoping that the intention of being with the land and being actively engaged with um, anti-racism work like through sacred ground with the Episcopal church or through the People's Institute for Survival and Beyond, that that can help shift in me and help shift me out of the white dominant culture and learning to lean into and co-create those those places that are actively anti-racist. And I, um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's tough and it's hard. And I don't think I have a, like the way forward, um, but I'm definitely wrestling through it with, with Jonathan and with some accountability buddies. That feels really important to have accountability buddies. Well, I just want to say, I, th I just appreciate your, your awareness and honesty. And I think this is for any of us who are, are white, this is a conversation that should be a lifelong wrestling, mm -hmm. right? That it's not something that we figure out and make the right decision and then, oh look, we're done. Right. We're done with this wrestling. That it's yeah. it's lifelong wrestling. Um, Check that box. Now I can move yeah. on. Fix it. Right. I wish. <laughs> right. Yeah. No. Yeah. And 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 yeah. I hear in you. I mean, I hear you in your words and also in your emotion. Um, mm really doing an excellent job of expressing what so many of us in this in this movement you know who are trying to practice a landed faith are wrestling mm -hmm. with and and i think we don't talk about that enough because we're used to theology kind of coming prepackaged and sorted out mm -hmm. and one of the things that i love about i love about trying to work this out is that we just we have hundreds of years of of issues to sort out. And so it really is a living, breathing and growing theology. And that can be really mm -hmm. uncomfortable. Like I already hear you saying, Hey, I stuck myself in a really uncomfortable place. I know, like, I know what it is I'm doing and I did it anyway. Yeah. Like I yeah. hear that tension. And, yeah. and, and I think that's such an invitation, um, to those who are, that is, that is, that is the growth for those who want to, you know, who are thinking about land and farm and all those kind of things. Like those, those are the things it's really not the farm at the end of the day, as much fun. And as, as, as discovery oriented as that is, it really is about, yeah. there are these really core things that have been handed down to us that we have work to do. Um, mm -hmm. and we can do that on a farm. We can do that elsewhere, yeah. but I think you've really yeah. articulated very eloquently. Thank you, Sam. Well, I think it's so important to remember too that so you are consciously in relationship with land, um, but you know I live in a town, right? Like in a rented apartment building. I'm also on unceded land, right? Like I'm also on stolen land, and I'm on, and so I think that that is again that the, it kind of goes back to those the, the practices that you're doing. Hmm. I believe are a gift to this broader church and community because it brings the attention back. So mm -hmm. if you are wrestling with what does it mean to have a small farm in Vermont mm -hmm. on unceded Abenaki land, mm -hmm. that is an invitation for me to wrestle with. Mm -hmm. What does it mean to be living in an apartment building on unceded land and that has been built upon, right? Like, I mean, there's, there's a whole, there's, there's other layers, right? You know, this yep. house was built over a hundred years ago. Like there's a lot of history there. Like, I don't know, yeah. like, I don't know, I don't know. And I don't, and there's gentrification and there, yeah. and, and, you know, the layers go on and on. So yeah. I think that the, in the invitation to attentiveness mm. is, is the invitation to, to start to unpack and, 
hopefully, you know, heal and repair. Um, yeah. I have two thoughts. One is um, the People's Institute for Survival and Beyond, which I just like cannot recommend them highly enough for folks looking to engage in anti-racism work. Um, the, one of their guiding principles is that you need to know your history. So part of what we're, Jonathan and I are hoping here at home at Heartbreak Hollow and what Lisa and I are hoping at Mission Farm is that by spending time, by sitting with these questions of who was here, um, who is still here, um, because the Abenaki are very much still here, um, who, um, who shaped this land, um, you know, why is it that the Episcopal Church has all of these expensive and beautiful buildings? Um, how did the slave trade benefit the Episcopal Church in New England? Like all of these questions um, just bring us into, I'm, I'm trusting and hoping, bring us into more of an ability to engage in anti-racism work if we know our history and know where we've been. Um, and as a part of that, because that knowing and that learning is so important, uh, but I also really believe that active reparations is important too. And so that is where I'm just, oh, watch this, pulling that thread back from earlier. Anna, when you mentioned the um, the the work that I'm we're doing with the Abenaki Land Link Project, like, so farms make money, farms exist by growing food on land. Um, so for me, taking a minimum of 10% of the land that I would set aside that I feel like I've been invited by the land to, to um, engage with in growing food. Um, by setting that aside for that program, I feel like that's a way to engage in reparations. Um, and this Abenaki Land Link program, which is this beautiful um, discernment of conversation between three people in Vermont, um, Chief Don Stevens of the um, Kusuk Band of the Nolhegan Abenaki, um, Shane Rogers of uh, Nofa, Vermont, and Livy um, Bulger from also Vermont. Um, there's so many like farming nonprofits that kind of all run together, but the three of them worked really, did some soul work on this program so that it was, you know, it's not a charity. It's not white farmers giving to native people who are in need. That's a toxic relationship that we don't need to be replicating. It's an invitation into equal partnership where the emotional labor and the physical labor is being done by the farmers. And um, in the growing process um, and the Abenaki are graciously and um, generously offering seed and receiving the um, the vegetables that have been grown. So it's like, it just really consciously shifts the dynamic so that it's not a charity model and it really feels like more of an equal partnership. And at the end, there's a big harvest festival and everybody's allowed, everybody's allowed to share the food together and farmers can keep food for, our, we can keep it for ourselves um, as long as we don't like sell it or give, you know, cause that would just be the worst ever but yeah um yeah so it's it's a real it's just a really cool program really cool program where can people go if they want to find out more about that program Ooh, the googles as the i googles. call it yeah yes. the Google. um nofa vermont has a great link um to the it's the abenaki land link project okay yeah. and we'll put that in the show notes as well cool yeah and it's last year was the first year so it got a little coveted. So like our, the harvest party was virtual um, and we had the growers sharing stories and it was, oh, this was my favorite part. They asked us like, how did you feel while you were working with, you know, the Mohawk beans or the Flint corn or whatever it was. It was like, you know, don't just tell us like, what was the germination rate for your seeds? But like, how did you feel while you were working with this plant? Or like, what's, what questions did you have or what came up for you? It was, hmm. Yeah, it felt really cool. And I love the idea. And this is this is what I've heard when where we started with cows, not to bring it back in Anna Grimace's like, no, he's not going back there. But I, I like cows. <laughs> but, I, it's just that you really, really, really like cows. 
Do you know how many times I've gotten to talk about cows and faith? Like twice <laughs> my whole life. I know. I'm all for it. I'm a big support of it. No, nah, it's yeah. all good. No, but it, you know, but that question about how did you feel, mm. like that question alone blows up the industrial and consumeristic yeah. nature of how we do agriculture and starts to yeah. say there's something deeper happening here. And just starting with your own the, the way that you showed up to the interaction with another living thing mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. such a profound question um, yeah. Yeah. and it's such a beautiful way to start. And so I'm just basking in the in, in the glow, yeah. of like thinking about that. And then also just thinking about the ways that you have practiced that and continue mm -hmm. to practice that. And I wish this was more video than it than it has been, because just just the joy on your face and also the pain on your face as you walk yeah. through these things mm -hmm. um, just is is as inspirational as hearing you talk about it. And so yeah. it's been a, it's been an absolute joy. We do want to be respectful of your time though. Um, and so, yeah, and there's always more Chorin. I've been watching the show letter Kenny just a little, and they talk about Chorin time to get back to Chorin. And exactly. Yeah, yes. Always more Chorin. So <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Like and, hay. <laughs> and I still joke that four o'clock every day I get this Twitch. Cause that's when I had to be in the barn and I'm like, okay, like whatever it is, it's got to stop at four. Cause I got to go milk and I got to go feed. But anyway, um, so we are at the four o'clock Eastern hour and therefore, um, let's, let's conclude our interview the way we always do. Um, which mm -hmm. is what gives you hope, um, as, as, as you, you know, pursue your vocational call as a priest, yeah. um, certainly vocational as a, as a farmer and a caretaker of other living things and being in, in conversation and communion with communities other than your own, what brings mm -hmm. you hope? Yeah, I love that question so much. And thank you so much for asking, Sam and Anna, for both of you for this opportunity. To it's just... Anna's question. It's not mine. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's always been Anna's question. Oh, I love it. I love it so much. And I'm just so grateful for this chance, chance to chat with y'all. Um, I think there is something that will hopefully never cease to amaze me about watching, um, watching the land come to life after winter. And there's so much life in winter. Like, I don't want to say, but just knowing that when a seed hits the ground, it is broken open and new life comes like that is just, that might even be scripture. Look out y'all. There's an Episcopalian quoting scripture up in here. Come on now. It's like, what? So that just always gives me hope. Um, and also that it seems like there's a current of energy in the world around huh, food and faith. Um, where these conversations are happening and people are leaning in and this wisdom that has been inherited or has been handed down or has been always present in some communities is bubbling up um, in the places where I am too. And that just, oh, that gets me out of bed in the morning. Like that is cool. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, we're so glad to have your voice in this orbit of conversation. And I, feel pretty certain this will be the first but not the last time that you'll be on the food and faith podcast um and i am looking forward to the day when i can come up and meet mocha and um chat with your spinach and oh yeah spinach very talkative spinach is very talkative oh yeah and the radishes the radishes will keep you here all day all day long <laughs> oh thank you so much rachel and um say hi to the animals when you go out and feed Will do. Thank you both so much. And I'll give Mocha a kiss for y'all. Excellent. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Food and Faith Podcast. Our collaborators are Wake Forest School of Divinity, Plain Song Farm, The Garden Church, and The Keep and Tell. Editing is by Derek Weston and music by Paul Deemer. Follow along and keep up to date with the podcast on Facebook at Food and Faith Podcast, Twitter and Instagram at Food and Faith Pod, or on our website at foodandfaithpodcast.org.